end in sight. And typically going to the well uh, for women in this culture was a social activity. So for you, it'd be like sitting down, drinking the chocolate milk or whatever you drink at your school these days. For me, it was chocolate milk. I loved me some chocolate milk. Anyways, that's besides the point. Uh, sitting down at the lunchroom and nobody sits with you. Could you imagine? Just put yourself in that position for a second. Uh, you're sitting at the table. You see people all around you socializing at the tables around you, but nobody wants to sit with you. Now, that's how that woman is feeling. She's feeling like a loser, right? And so then Jesus comes up. He comes up to the well, and he begins to engage her. He begins to talk with her and basically uh, talk to her about who she is and her past, right? And we all... Uh, we all have different things in our story, but I don't want to really focus on that. I want to focus on who Jesus sees her as. So Jesus, he comes up and um, there is a difference in what he believes and what she believes. An example would be like, I have a friend who's gay. He's one of my best friends in the world, but we believe differently. But I don't let that stop me from being his friend. And so Jesus is pushing past what the difference in their beliefs, sticking to his beliefs but also engaging somebody or interacting with and becoming a friend of somebody who believes differently than him. And so the woman, even at a point in the conversation, goes back to their beliefs uh, and she kind of redirects or like changes the conversation to what they believe. And Jesus is trying to get to the heart of the matter and say, I'm not really here uh, specifically about what you believe, but I'm wanting to get to know who you are and allow you to get to know me. And so at the end of the day, when the woman lets her guard down and becomes ready, she is able to become a friend of Jesus. Uh, and Jesus is a friend to her. So I, I want to ask you, I want you to put yourself again back at that table. You're sitting by yourself in the middle of a lunchroom. Nobody's around you. Nobody's wanting to sit beside you. Wouldn't you want somebody to come up to you? Wouldn't you want somebody to come and sit beside you and say, hey man, can I sit here? I'd love to be your friend. I think that a lot of times we see that kid because we're scared to embrace the person alone because we don't want to be alone, we say, nah, I'm going to go sit with my friends. But what if, what if this time, next time, you walked up to a friend, you said, hey, come with me. Let's sit with this person. Or you could say to that person, hey, come sit with us and engage them in order to be like Jesus. And ultimately, it's most important that you do that so that you can one day share the gospel with them. And we know that gospel is just that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins when we couldn't meet God's standard. He did it so that we could have a great relationship with God uh, and walk in love and relationship with God. And so because God has met us where we are, when we couldn't meet God's standards, we should meet other people where they are, even if they don't meet our standards, even if they're not the coolest kid, the most athletic kid, the prettiest kid. Maybe they ain't got hair like me. You see what I'm saying? But like either way, we look past uh, what might be our typical standard for a friend. And we say, hey, I see a person in need, a person who needs love and meet them where they are. Hey, I hope you had a good time at this children's story today. See you guys next time. What a good word, right? Um, well, Jesus was actually known as being a friend of sinners. Wow, can you imagine if that's what people called you, a friend of sinners? Um, there's probably some titles that we would desire more, but 
What if that was what we were known for? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? All right, well, let's pray, and we're going to dig into our story here, which is just a beautiful story. Let's, let's pray and invite God into this time. Jesus, the Bible says that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we need you to come down to us. Uh, just like in this story, you came to the Samaritan woman. That's what you do, Jesus. You come down. You meet us where we're at. And so that's what we need this morning. We invite your spirit to come speak to us, to touch us exactly where we need to be healed, um, and to show us a clearer and more beautiful picture of who you are. Would you delight to meet with us this morning through your word? We pray it in your precious name. Amen. Well, friends, many of us have taken up new hobbies during the pandemic. Some people have gone crazy over sourdough starters. Some have decided that they're going to get fit. Many of us are cooking a lot more at home. And the world has rediscovered the simple joy of puzzles. Raise your hand if you have worked on at least one puzzle over the past year. That's awesome. Wow. (laughs) It's like nine out of ten. Well, I too got in on the puzzle craze. To my frustration, I apparently chose the most difficult puzzle known to man for my first pandemic puzzle. In addition to large blocks of virtually the exact same color, mine also included words that were in another language. I was constantly forced to consult the picture on the front of the box in order to figure out how to put this puzzle together. I would have been lost without that picture to go back to. Now, you should have received some puzzle pieces on your way in this morning. Take a look at them if you haven't already. Do you have any guesses as to what the puzzle is? What's the big picture? Fireworks, that's a good guess. Any other guesses? Say it again. Water. Water? Okay. The sun, the universe. Awesome. Good guesses. Well, we're going to see. Hold on to them because we're going to see by the end of uh, our sermon what that big picture is. In the next few minutes, we're going to meet a woman who was herself putting together a very difficult puzzle. She had a lot of the pieces, but she needed someone to show her the big picture so she could figure out how to put those pieces together correctly. So read with me now. We're going to start at verse 1 of John chapter 4. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized. And so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, when I've read these verses in the past, I always saw them as just setting up the scene for the real story. But I want you to see something important. These verses explain that it was Jesus' disciples and not Jesus himself that were baptizing new believers. Though Jesus had all authority in heaven and earth given to him, as we're told in Matthew 28, 
He was constantly sharing the work of ministry with his disciples. He was teaching them about his mission and empowering them to fulfill it. So why is this important? Because it is the pattern that Jesus would set for the church for every future generation. True spiritual leadership multiplies itself by reaching, training, and empowering other believers to do the work of ministry. So who is empowering you and who are you empowering? One of the central marks of a maturing church is spiritual multiplication. We'll pick back up in our story now in verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria, and so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. In the book, Learning Evangelism from Jesus, our story is introduced this way. We're told in the Gospel of Luke that even in his childhood, Jesus is committed to being about his father's work. In our second chapter, we saw that Jesus explicitly teaches that everything he does, everything he says, even how he speaks his words, is in obedience to the Father's will. This means that Jesus does not go anywhere by chance. His whole life is a series of divine appointments. So it should be no surprise that in describing Jesus' journey to the well at Sychar, John opens his account with the words, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now last year, our own Rosa Brinkman went through training in our denomination eco in order to become a certified lay pastor. ...by our eco leaders. I served as her mentor through the process, and I watched some of those videos in order to help her with questions that she had along the way. There was one particular video that really stood out to me. It was titled, Developing a Common Mission. The speaker, Alex Absalom, taught from Luke 10, which tells about when Jesus sent out his disciples two by two to minister in his name. Now, remember when we said that one key mark of a maturing church is spiritual multiplication? Well, that was what was happening in Luke 10. Jesus was training his disciples to be able to do the work of ministry in his name by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the Father's glory. And as he prepares these disciples to go out on mission, Jesus gives them some instructions before he sends them out. One of the things that he tells his disciples to do is to look for people of peace. Mr. Absalom shares some ways to help us identify a person of peace. Now, a person of peace welcomes you. They receive you and receive Jesus in you. They serve you. You intentionally invest in them. And they become a gatekeeper into their network of relationships. This, friends, is what we see happening in our story today. 
This woman that we meet in the passage is a person of peace. She welcomes Jesus and she begins a conversation with him that will end up turning her whole life upside down and inside out. So this makes me wonder, who are the people of peace in your life? A few weeks ago, I went in to see my hairdresser for a much-needed pandemic haircut. I have been going to her for almost six years now, and we have been able to have some deep talks over the years. During the course of our conversation that day, she looked at me and in total earnest said, it's so refreshing to talk to a Christian that's like you. Now, over the past six years, I've learned a decent amount about her life. Most of her experiences with Christians have been people that were either hypocritical or they were legalistic. She's been frustrated and hurt by the lack of love that she's seen demonstrated by so many who claimed Christ. And yet, she is still always open to talk with me about faith. I consider her to be a person of peace who doesn't just receive me, but receives Christ in me. And she will frequently ask me spiritual questions or begin spiritual conversations. So I'll ask again, who are the people of peace that God has put in your life? Maybe it's a handyman or a bank teller. Maybe it's a coworker, a neighbor, or a cousin. Who is God preparing not just to receive you, but to receive Christ in you? Who is Jesus sending you out to? Be on the lookout for people of peace in your life. Jesus was, and he did not miss the opportunity to turn a casual conversation about water into an encounter with the living God. So let's follow along in this conversation now as we start back at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and who also, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will never be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that, or will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and keep having to come here to draw water. Marianne May Thompson, in her commentary on the book of John, writes of this passage. She says, In a world where water does not flow from taps, women's work often revolves around procuring water for drinking, cooking, washing, and watering, the work of sustaining life. This woman has come alone in the heat of the day to draw water, and she finds Jesus alone. In her response to Jesus' request for a drink, the woman underscores the barrier between them. He is a Jewish male, she a Samaritan woman. Jesus crosses this double barrier, risking reputation and honor and whatever disapproval his actions might occasion in order to ask something of her. 
So remember, he's a friend of sinners, right? He's risking reputation and honor. Here we come and we return to the idea of our person of peace that Jesus tells us to look for. One of the marks of a person of peace is that they serve you. Here we have a woman who desires to serve but doesn't know how. Samaritans were not just looked down on by Jews. They were considered unclean. They definitely were not accustomed to sharing cups. To put it in a more modern context for us, this is the equivalent of a white man during the time of American segregation approaching a black woman and asking if he could use the colored water fountain. Can you sense the shock and the confusion at such a request, the conflicted feelings of both a desire to help and a need for self-preservation? The tension is almost palpable. And yet, this woman, this person of peace, is curious What could Jesus mean? What is this living water that he is offering to her? Jesus calls it the gift of God in verse 10. What could this divine gift be that Jesus is so freely offering to her, this perfect stranger? In chapter 3, the previous chapter of our book of John, Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. It's on the heels of this conversation with Nicodemus that Jesus again speaks of water. And just as in John 3, Jesus, the master teacher, uses an everyday scenario to explain a complex idea. In this case, he uses a drink of water to explain the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. In the last chapter of the Bible, we're told that the Spirit of God says, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take of the water of life without price. Thompson writes, this is what Jesus offers her. Neither her gender, her ethnicity, nor her religious commitments or practices are a barrier to Jesus' gracious gift to her. So what about you? Do you offer Jesus to others without conditions? Or do you put up barriers to others meeting and receiving Jesus? What I didn't tell you earlier about my hairdresser is that she used to have neighbors that worked for a very prominent church here in town. She even joined a small group that met in their home. But she was made to feel like they always wanted something from her, that she somehow owed them something for their condescension to let her come into their home. Friends, this is not the way of Jesus Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. As we said earlier, he comes to us. As one of my former pastors used to say, the ground is always level at the foot of the cross. And Jesus, all are welcome. All are welcome there at the foot of the cross. And Jesus is the great equalizer. 
Are any of you here today a person of peace? Do you feel like God might be preparing you to receive Jesus? If so, today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple and as profound as that. If you feel like Jesus is calling you, please do not ignore his voice. Grab one of the pastors, myself, Pastor Drew, after the service. We would love to pray with you and to help you begin a relationship with Jesus, just like this woman. Well, believe it or not, there is still more good news in our passage. So let's return to verse 16. He told her, go and call your husband back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Wow. Are you feeling it yet? Everything has been building up to this moment. This is the climax of the story when Jesus finally reveals who he is, as well as revealing extremely personal details about this woman's life. To this woman, Jesus was a complete stranger, just traveling through her town. So how could he know such intimate information about her? Years ago, a woman from my church asked to meet with me. I had no idea what she wanted to meet about. And frankly, those kinds of mystery meetings always made me a little bit nervous. When we sat down in my office on the appointed day, she pulled a notebook out of her bag. And out of the notebook, she produced a piece of paper that had been folded in half. She told me that as she was praying earlier that week, God had told her that he had a message for me. So she wrote it down. She read out loud the two or three sentences that she had written. And then she looked up at me and said, somewhat sheepishly, I sure hope you know what this is about. And as a a tear fell down my cheek, I answered, I do. In that season, God had been walking me through a painful process of healing. He had been tenderly nursing some old wounds of mine. No one but my counselor and myself knew of this work that God had been doing. And yet the words this woman had written down promises of hope and healing. They were exactly what I needed. Like the woman at the well, I knew instantly that God had seen my pain. Oh, friends, we serve a God who sees. 
He knows and he cares so deeply. We walk with the God who still speaks today. Carrie Christina Reeves, in her beautiful prayer book, Canyon Road, writes, As we encounter God's presence and love, even the most painful experiences are miraculously intertwined with hope. With God's help, our sufferings become opportunities for transformation, ultimately leading us into deeper levels of healing, often in this life, but always in the next. Certainly our injuries are inflicted by others, ourselves, or circumstances. Oh, sorry. Whether our injuries are inflicted by others, ourselves, or circumstances beyond our control, God wants to touch our inner beings where we carry our emotional and spiritual wounds through the work of his spirit. Do you see the puzzle pieces beginning to fit together? Jesus lends meaning to the years of heartbreak that this woman has experienced. He looks her in the eyes and he tells her that her difficult life has not gone unseen by God. Have you ever felt like surely God has not seen your pain? Have you wondered if he cares at all? The past year has brought a collective suffering to all of us. It's been felt, in fact, by the whole world. Not a single person has been immune to the devastation of COVID. It has robbed us of family members, of jobs, of financial stability, of health, of social lives, of travel, of comfort, of normalcy, and so much more. Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says this, Suffering is unbearable. If you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. The converse then is certainly true. If you are certain, certain that Jesus is for you and with you, then that changes everything. And that's what's happening here in the story. This woman who had lived a life marked with pain and suffering has come face to face with Jesus. With the one who had been, she had been waiting for all her life. I am he, Jesus says to her. And then everything changes. The woman is left speechless. Jesus had just confessed to being the Messiah. And here come his disciples trotting in with lunch. They can see that something unusual is certainly happening. But they have no idea what they walked into. No matter, the Samaritan woman is so excited about Jesus' revelation that she completely forgets her water pitcher and why she's come to the well, and she hurries back to town. When she gets back, she rounds up a huge crowd of people, and she starts to tell them what happened, to tell them what Jesus said to her. And then she brings them back to meet Jesus for themselves. All of a sudden, we see spiritual multiplication happening. Isn't it beautiful? Jesus could have easily gone to the town himself. He could have preached and taught to the people. And yet he gives the mission away. He entrusts to this woman his good news, not just for her own life, but for the whole village. Charles Stanley famously said, 
God's plan for enlarging his kingdom is so simple. One person telling another about the Savior. The Samaritan woman did not attend an evangelism class. She didn't have a copy of the four spiritual laws in her hand. She simply told the truth about what Jesus, about Jesus to whoever would listen. And she, and God enlarged his kingdom that day. Do you remember the last mark of a person of peace? Here it is. The person of peace becomes a gatekeeper into their network of relationships. Is the puzzle starting to come together? Do you see this awesome picture that Jesus is putting together right in front of our eyes? Now, do you still have those puzzle pieces? Remember the ones that you got at the beginning of the service? Have you figured out yet what the picture is? Well, here it is. We're going to see up on the screen. It's the universe. I heard a couple of you guess correctly. Mike also got it right, Mike Parker. Well, our story ends with one more picture, that of a new church, a church that is already growing and multiplying. Read with me in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. This is the glorious inefficiency of God. Jesus had taken a quicker traveling route at the beginning of the story, which took him through Samaria. But then he chooses to stay an extra two days to teach and fellowship with the villagers. Aren't God's ways like that? So very different from ours and so much better. While the disciples were thinking about lunch, a nobody Samaritan woman was helping to build the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, hear this word. God is not looking for a resume. God is looking for Jesus followers who are willing to tell their story. It's as simple as that. Jesus gave this Samaritan woman a new life, one full of hope and promise. And he invited her to join him in his mission. As we were reminded recently at our denominational gathering, the greatest impact that God has for your life is always ahead of you. Amen. And let it be so. Let's pray.